this morning is from Luke chapter Today I pray that you'll help us understand the power of the message of the cross and ask Father for your touch on our sound system that you'll take every gremlin out of that system that will record exactly what we're saying so that others might get to hear it as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're working our way through a series looking at hopeless cases. And today I think we've got one which is an incredibly hopeless case as we look at the story of this thief hanging on a cross the text which was read for us this morning it represents uh, it presents three men three men who've been nailed to three crosses and they're dying three terrible deaths the difference in their suffering is minimal but the difference in the men is enormous on one side we have a thief dying in his sins He's lived a life of crime. He's broken the laws of Rome. He's been sentenced to death. This man is rude, he's arrogant, and he's proud. He's in a hopeless situation. He's dying in his sins. On the other side, we have a thief who's dying for his crimes. He's just as guilty as the first man. He's committed the same crimes. He's offended the same government. He's received the same sentence. He's paying the same price. He's feeling the same pain. He's dying the same death. Yet he's very different to the first man. While the first man was dying in his sins, this man is dying to his sins. This man is well aware of what he's facing. His eyes are open to his condition and he's willing to do whatever it takes to get God's help. Yet he's still in a hopeless condition as he hangs on that cross. In the middle, there's another man who hangs on a cross. He's offended some very powerful people. 
He spent the past three years traveling the country, preaching a message that he calls the gospel of the kingdom. It's a message that promises salvation to everyone who believes. This man has healed the sick. He's fed the hungry. He's even raised the dead. He's done nothing wrong except expose the corruption of the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. And the Jewish leaders, they've convinced the Roman governor that this man is worthy of death. And since the Roman governor is afraid the Jews will start a revolt if he lets the man in the middle go, he gives in to their demands, he orders the man in the middle be crucified, even though he knows that this man is innocent. Now this man in the middle is very different from the two other men. He's very different because he's never done anything wrong. He never sinned. He's never committed a crime. He never treated anyone badly. Yet, he's feeling the same pain. He's paying the same price. He's dying the same death as the guilty men on either side of him. This man, the man in the middle, is dying for sin. One dies in his sin. One dies to his sin. The man in the middle dies for sin. And that's what makes him different. We know him as Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our Lord. But from the appearance of this text, there, the details, it, it gives us a hopeless situation. There are three men nailed to three crosses. Three men are dying terrible deaths. Three men are dying deaths so horrible that we can't imagine how bad they are. And by sundown, all three of those men will be dead and in eternity. It's really a hopeless case, isn't it, when you look at it? But this morning I want to show you again how the Lord Jesus is able to, to, to bring hope to the hopeless. How he's able to transform a hopeless situation into a time of hope and blessing. So let's have a look this morning at the case of the dying thief. The one who's dying to his sin. I want to look at his hopeless situation. The description clearly declares that he is a man in a terrible trouble. Look at your, your Bible again if you would at Luke you want to open up to Luke chapter 23 verse 32 there's two other men both criminals were led out with Jesus to be executed okay so this man is called a criminal in Matthew's gospel we know he was a thief he's guilty of breaking the laws of men his problem is far more serious than that because he's also guilty of breaking the law of God he's a thief that means that amongst other things he broke the eighth commandment thou shalt not steal he broke God's commandment. And beyond that, he's also guilty of blasphemy in that he openly joined the Jews and the other thief in mocking Jesus because in Matthew's gospel, it tells us that the crowds reviled Jesus and that the robbers also who were crucified with him, they also heaped insults on him. So in the beginning, at the time of crucifixion, both of them were taken, taken out their angst on Jesus. In other words, the crowd and the thieves, they are guilty of speaking evil, wicked things against the Lord. They committed a serious offense. They sinned against the Lord. Of course, this thief, even before he chose that life of crime, like every other person in the world, he was born in sin. Even if he lived a life free from sin, he's still guilty before the Lord. He was a sinner in his very spirit he was receiving the wages of his sin which the bible tells us is death and it just so happened that the sin in his heart led him to commit sins of the flesh that put him at odds with the law of man so he's facing the wrath of man 
on the cross and soon he would face the wrath of God in hell. This story is a reminder that all of us were sinners and are sinners before God. We may not be guilty of things like theft and murder, but we are sinners. And one day we will face the wrath of God. The only possibility for us to escape that is Jesus Christ. I'll say a little bit more about that later, but for now remember this Bible verse that says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. That includes me and it includes you. We call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God against our sin. But let's have a look at this thief again. This thief in verse 33 tells us that he was crucified. Now crucifixion was a means of execution perfected by the Romans. It was unimaginably cruel. It's a horrible way to die. And the Romans, they crucified countless people during their conquest of the ancient world. Many thousands and thousands were dying upon crosses. And of course, there were those three men mentioned in our text. Now, we can be thankful, I think, that, that we probably will never suffer a death by crucifixion. However, we will all face death one day. That's a given, isn't it? And in the Bible, it says this, Hebrews chapter 9, 27, a man is destined, or a human being, a person, right? Us, you and me, we are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. The sentence is on each of us, isn't it? Death. So what matters is that we need to be ready for that day when it comes. And there is one way and only one way for people to get ready for death. Jesus Christ Jesus Christ alone makes people ready to face that inevitable day of their deaths. As Jesus put it, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's clear. So this thief, he was sentenced to death. He was facing it. But let's have a look at his sorrow. Because what's truly tragic is that is that the two, two of the men dying that day, they're going to face something far worse than the suffering of the cross on which they're dying. Two thieves are sinners, and at, the, at that particular time, they are not prepared to face death. They're both headed to hell. And hell is a place of far worse cruelty and horribleness than anything we devised as human beings. This man who was, who's facing so difficult a death as dying on the cross he was not going to a place of peace and rest. Death for him wouldn't be some sort of sweet release from the pains of life. He's not going to a place of rest and safety. He's headed for a place called hell. He's headed to a place of eternal fire, eternal torment, eternal damnation, eternally being separated from God. This is real. So many people in our society have a problem with the concept of hell. They don't believe in it. Well, Jesus believed in it. That's why he came. And not everyone who dies, dies in peace. I've seen lots of dead people. Part of my job. And you've probably seen a few too. The body in the casket often looks calm and peaceful, but that might be deceiving you because the soul that has left that body may well be burning in hell. The fate that awaited this criminal awaits all of those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Saviour and as their Lord. 
there's a real place called hell where the lost will spend eternity. So brothers and sisters, and whoever listens to this message by whatever means, if you are a lost person, if you die in that condition of being lost, you will go to hell and you will spend eternity in that place. Hell is a place that the Bible describes as being of an unquenchable fire. It's a place of memory. You remember things and you will be remorseful. It's described as being a place of an intense, unsatisfied thirst. It's a place of misery and pain. It's described as a place of frustration and anger. It's described as a place of eternal separation from everything that is beautiful. And it's a place of undiluted wrath of God. You don't want to go there. Too many people I hear make jokes about it. Oh, I'm going to be with my mates there having a barbie. You're on the barbie, mate. Forget about everyone else. But the thing is, you don't have to go there. You don't have to. In a moment, I'm going to tell you how to avoid that terrible place. But this thief, this thief, as he hangs on that cross, he's in a hopeless situation. He's nailed to a cross and he's going to die there. And at that moment in time, he is lost. He's headed to hell. And in that condition, he's actually a picture of every human being in the world. And if you don't know Jesus Christ... In a, save, in a saving faith relationship, you are already dead in your sins, according to the scriptures. And you are headed to hell. You're in dire straits and you need someone to intervene and to set you free. So keep on listening because there is hope and his name is Jesus. But notice so far, this man hanging on the cross is in a hopeless situation. But now have a look at the man a little bit further because sometime somehow during those hours on the cross this thief he became aware of just how much trouble he was in and when his eyes were open to the situation he did the only thing he could do he reached out to jesus the man nailed on the cross beside him it's fascinating if you look at your bible in luke's gospel chapter and verse 39 of uh, chapter 23 one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal, the one I'm talking about today, rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Earlier in the day, according to Matthew's gospel, both of them, are mocking the Lord Jesus. They join their voices with the voices of the religious leaders in Israel. They openly mock him. But sometime later in the day, one of the thieves begins to verbally assault Jesus once again. He's saying, in effect, if you really are who you claim to be, save yourself and save us too. If you really are the Son of God, if you really are the Messiah, prove it. Get us off this cross. This man's in pain. I can understand why he's yelling at anyone he could. He's angry and he wants off that cross. He sees Jesus nearby. He knows who Jesus claims to be. So he unleashes his fury against the Lord. And the other thief, the one we're talking about this morning, he hears his companion mocking Jesus and now he comes to the Lord's defense. And in, his, in response he's saying, he says, listen, don't you fear God? You're dying the same death as he is. What he means is that death is coming for all three of them. Now is not the time to attack one another. Now is the time to prepare to meet God. And that gives us a glimpse into this man's heart. 
He's dealing now with his mortality. He knows he's got a short space of time left. He's dealing with the fact that he's going to die. And it seems to me that he's probably looking back over his life as a wasted life. He's keenly aware that he is where he is because of the path he's chosen. And he's also very aware that he's, he's facing an eternity that he's not yet prepared for. So he rebukes the other thief for his cold-hearted treatment of the dying Christ. And his rebuke is evidence that God has now opened this man's heart and has allowed him to see his own condition. When that moment occurs in a sinner's life, salvation becomes a real possibility. When a sinner sees himself as he really is, and when they see that the price they're about to pay for their sins, when they see that, there will be a desire in that sinner's heart to deal with their sins and get right with God. This realization comes when the Spirit of God makes you alive, quickens your heart. It opens your blind eyes and at last you can see yourself as you really are. We call this realization conviction. When you come, become convicted in your heart of your condition. A conviction is a work of God in a person's heart. It's a work that God makes us, that you, God uses to make us aware of our condition. It's something that only God can do. No one is saved apart from God's convicting, God's drawing, and God's wooing for that lost sinner. Listen to what it says in, in, in John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray. We need to pray that God's Spirit will continue to work, convict people's hearts. We've got to do our work of witnessing, yes. We've got to do our work of sharing, yes. We've got to do our work of preaching the gospel, yes. But God has to do our work too. We need to pray that God is working. This thief that we're considering this morning, he, he rebukes his fellow thief, and then the very next breath he, conf he, he confesses his own guilt. He says, you know, we are guilty, we're getting just what we deserve. And then he confesses how he really feels about the Lord Jesus. He says, this man, well, he can't say it this way like I am, pointing to him because he's nailed, but this man has done nothing wrong. This thief is on the road to something great in his life. He sees how guilty he is. He understands that he's under condemnation. He also understands that there's something special about this man in the middle. In the words of this thief, we see two essential components for a person to be saved. Number one, a confession of sin. And number two, an understanding of who Jesus is. When those two things are true in a heart, that person will be saved. That's how it happened in my life. That's how it happened in your life. That's how it happens to anyone who's lost when they come to the time that they are going to be saved. Look at verse 42, would you? This man, he speaks to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In the midst of his agony... In the midst of his own death, this man, he looks to Jesus and he calls on him in simple faith. I find this to be striking. This is amazing because he's looking at this man beside him 
who's also dying. Jesus must have presented an incredibly tragic figure on that day. He'd been so badly beaten that the prophet Isaiah puts it this way. He says, many were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Jesus had been beaten so much it didn't even look like a person anymore. And yet this thief calls on him. This man looks at the dying Lord and sees him more clearly than anyone else ever saw him on that day. I dug the text up in the Greek to see exactly what he said and he called Jesus Lord. He says, Lord, remember me, Lord. So he sees a man who's going to die, but whom he believes is someday going to overcome death. And he also calls him a king. He sees a man who's going to establish a kingdom on earth. He sees a man who can save him. Isn't this amazing? I mean, where did this thief get those ideas? Where does this kind of faith come from? Why would he imagine that a dying man could do anything for anybody, much less call him Lord and rule a kingdom? Those ideas were put into his head by God. I'm sure of it. When God opened his eyes to his own sins, God also opened his eyes to the truth about Jesus Christ. And based on what he understands about Jesus, he makes an incredible request. He asks another dying man, I can't get over this, he asks a dying man to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. That's incredible. When this thief looked at Jesus Christ, he didn't see a man dying simply as a victim of the Roman system. Everyone else saw that for the most part. They saw nothing else than that poor man hanging there, battered and bleeding on a cross. But this thief, he looked at Jesus and he saw God. He looked at Jesus and he saw perfect righteousness. He'd done nothing wrong. He saw Jesus and he saw the one who's going to somehow conquer death, rise again, rule in power and glory, and extend grace to the undeserving, which was him. He looked at Jesus wearing that cruel, mocking crown of thorns, and he saw Jesus wearing three crowns. He placed Jesus on the throne of the universe. He called him Lord. He placed Jesus on the throne of his heart because he said, remember me. He placed Jesus on the throne of King David because he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, which is precisely what the Messiah was going to do. When I look at my Bible, I see that this man, for me, exhibited the greatest faith I have ever seen and heard about. He grasped the essence of who Jesus was. He understood what Jesus was doing. He understood what Jesus would do. And not only did he grasp it, he believed it all. He believed it, that in some high, in spite of all the impossible things that he was seeing, he, he displayed the essence of true faith in his heart and in his words as he died on that cross. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. All this man had was hope. He couldn't see a thing apart from a dying man beside him. But he was sure and he was certain in his heart. He had faith 
And this thief, he teaches us what it takes to be saved. He showed us what is true, what true saving faith lo- looks like. Notice three characteristics of the saving faith. First of all, he was honest about his own sins. He freely admitted that he was guilty. Admitting that you are a sinner is the first place to coming to faith in Jesus. Remember, Jesus came to save sinners, not righteous people. That's us, isn't it? We're the sinners that he came to save. And seeing our own condition is is very hard. That's the first step we need to take. Secondly, he became convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be. See, as long as Jesus is just another man, you'll never be saved. But when you come to the place where you see him as God, as Savior, as Lord, and the fulfillment of all the promises of God in the Scriptures, you can be saved. When you understand that he died on the cross, like the Bible says, that he rose again, like the Bible says, and that he will save you when you call on him by faith, you will be saved. Full stop. Faith in the claims of Jesus and the claims of the gospel are essential to salvation. So this thief, he was willing to call upon Jesus by faith for what he needed. Far too many people know the truth. They know what they need to do but they don't act on it. This thief, he acted on what he knew. If you come to Jesus, he will not turn you away. He did not turn this man away. If you will call on Jesus, he will save your soul. I need to ask you all, and I know I've asked you before, and I'm going to keep on asking the question until I can't ask any more questions. Have you come to the place where you see your sins? Do you understand that Jesus died for you on the cross and that he rose again from the dead? Do you grasp the truth that he will save you if you will repent of your sins and cry out to him? If you haven't done that, let me encourage you to do that today. Jesus will save you if you will only come to him and ask. Now look back at your Bible again for a moment if you would. At verse 43, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Have a look at this man's salvation for a moment. Jesus answered him. Jesus reaches out to a man who does not deserve anything but judgment. Because this man, he could not do anything for God. This man could not give anything to God. This man did not deserve salvation. He did not deserve the attention of the Savior. He did not deserve for Jesus to speak to him, to help him, and much less save him. He didn't deserve for anything to do, for Jesus to do anything at all for him, especially to remember him at some future date in his kingdom. Yet, yet, in spite of his unworthiness, Jesus doesn't respond to the dying thief with any words of condemnation or judgment. Jesus responds to the request of the dying thief with words of grace. Jesus promises him salvation. Jesus promises him that they'll be together in paradise. And Jesus says it's going to come to pass today. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. What incredible words of love. What incredible words of grace. What incredible words of joy for this man. They must have comforted him and thrilled him in his heart because he's a thief. 
He's a condemned criminal. He has nothing to commend himself to God. He's never going to be able to study the Bible. He's never going to have an opportunity to repay his victims that he's stolen from. He's never going to have a chance to live any kind of productive life. He's never going to get to go to the synagogue like the other good Jews would have done. He's never going to be baptized. He's never going to give a tithe. He's never going to promise to, to personally tell anybody about the Lord. He's not going to do anything. Zip. And yet the Lord spoke to him and promised to give him everything. Everything. He promised it without any strings attached. He promises salvation and hope and grace and joy and glory. And Jesus asks for nothing in return. Hallelujah. What a saviour we serve. Every day I am more and more convinced and convicted of Jesus giving me everything that I need without me being able to give him anything that's worthwhile. Nothing. My best sermon is hot air. On this day that we're looking at, Jesus was the one who died first. He surrendered his life, committed himself into the loving care of his father. So Jesus precedes both of these thieves into eternity. The thief who rejected Jesus went to hell. The other thief, the one we've been talking about, the one who trusted in Jesus for salvation, he follows the Lord into paradise. Remember, Jesus got there first. Can you imagine for a moment, what, just put your imagination on for a second. Imagine the scene that would have greeted Jesus when he enters the place where all the departed saints waited for the day that Jesus would come and die on the cross and pay their sin debt. There must have been rejoicing. I mean, there would be Abraham and Joseph and David and legions of others gathered around about him, praising the Lord for what he's just accomplished for them. And in just a short time later, death would have claimed that repentant thief. He died in the loving arms of grace. He slipped away into eternity. And when he did, he didn't go to hell. But just as Jesus promised, he went to paradise to be with the Lord. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that God loves you. He proved his love for you when he sent his son to die for your sins on the cross. And we don't have to be like the thief that died lost. You can be saved. You can miss out on hell. You can go to heaven when you die. And how do we do that? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's as simple as that. I wonder, what, what, what was it that God uses to prompt this thief to, to change his mind, to, to turn him from a blasphemer into a believer? Maybe it was the way that Jesus was silent when they nailed him to the cross. I don't know about you, but having the thought of having nails driven through my arms and my feet makes me yell. When I was in the end of uh, year 12, I, I was climbing through the roof of our house and I stood on a board and it went through my foot. The nail went through my foot, poked out the other top, and I go like, oh man, I tell you what, I made lots of noises, particularly when I had to get my foot off the board again. Lots of yelling. Jesus was silent. Maybe it was the way Jesus responded to the mockery of his enemies. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Maybe it was the sign that was nailed over Jesus' head that proclaimed his title. Jesus, the king of the Jews. 
It could have been anything of a number of things that spoke to this man's heart. But something told him that Jesus was no ordinary man. Something told this dying man that Jesus was his Messiah and that Jesus was his only hope. And as he hangs there in the presence of Jesus, this man confesses himself to be a sinner. He declares his own guilt for all to hear. He says, I am that man. I am guilty and I deserve everything I receive and all that I'm about to receive. As he confesses his guilt, I can hear his words of sorrow for wasted life, wrong deeds, wasted opportunities, shattered dreams. I can hear a man who's sorry for what he's done, but he is a repentant sinner. He turns away from his old life and he turns to Jesus and he calls on the Lord. And when he called on the Lord, he was saved. Is that what you need to do? Do you need to do that today? Do you need to confess your, your sinfulness and call on Jesus to save you? Because if you do so, he will save you. Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, for the majority of us sitting in this room, if you've already responded to the gospel call and God has saved you, you ought to praise him. You ought to worship him for that. What do you think that thief did when he met Jesus in paradise? I've got no proof, but I reckon he would have bowed before the Lord and worshipped him and thanked him and praised him for the salvation that he has received. It's an old story, brothers and sisters. I can't tell it to you any better than this. Would you praise the Lord with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you took our hopeless lives and transformed them when we understood exactly who we were and then who Jesus is. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took our place. We are the ones who should have been nailed to the cross, yet you were nailed to that cross for our sins. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You did that for me. And I say thank you, Lord. I worship you and I praise you with a grateful heart. I pray, Lord, that you will enable me and the others who listen to share this message with others who need it, that they too might be set free of their past and be given a wonderful hope with you in eternity, heaven itself. Thank you for the promise that the day is coming. We will see you face to face. And oh, what a day that will be. We look forward to worshipping you then, just as we worship you now.